problem with pain. The Christian author and apologist C.S. Lewis said this, quote, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, end quote. Even the most hardened in unbelief are tempted to lash out at the steely blue heavens and cry, Why, God, when their body is racked with pain or disease? According to the Bible, the devil himself knows this. In the ancient and somewhat enigmatic book of Job, after he took all that Job possessed, his wealth by destruction and theft, and his children by death, Satan confidently told God, quote, Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. End quote. He was wrong, of course. But the questions of Job's suffering sparked the tangle of the 40 long chapters that followed. Sickness and suffering, pain and plague, seem to be the question that many default to. They ask, if there is a God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? This is not a question that's easily or glibly answered by quoting chapter and verse, for such answers most often ring hollow to the human heart. Philosophical and even theological postulating make poor balm for soothing the anguished body. The harsh reality is that the why of suffering may never be fully and completely known. But we can be assured that our wounds are not wasted, that our suffering is not senseless. And as in the case of Charlotte Elliott, we can take all the questions and the resentments that our pain may distill from deep within the heart and bring them to God. Despite my inner conflict and my doubts, I can come to Jesus just as I am. I'm Ronnie Brown, and this is Forgotten. as straight and proper as a 19th century aristocrat's daughter was supposed to. She ate her dinner serenely, seeming at peace with the family and guests around the table. But within the confines of her body and mind, there was another story. The searing pain that washed over her torso made lifting the fork of food to her mouth nearly unbearable. The polite dinner chatter with the family's honored guest was beyond irritating while she swallowed the anguish that begged to be released in cries of pain. She hadn't always been this way. Born March the 18th, 1789, Charlotte grew up as the privileged daughter of a silk merchant. She was talented and witty. As a young woman, she made a name for herself as a portrait artist and was published to some acclaim as a writer of humorous poetry. But somewhere along these early years, sickness began to grip her body. By the time she was 30 years old, the illness had rendered her a bedridden invalid. She described her health battle as an hourly fight against, quote, bodily feelings of almost overpowering weakness and exhaustion, end quote. She admitted to times of debilitating slothfulness, depression, and instability. Although Charlotte was raised in a Christian home, her grandfather, Reverend Henry Venn, 
being a rather famous evangelical preacher, she began to be hardened to the things of God. She was heard to mutter, quote, If God loved me, he would not have treated me this way, end quote. Her family, concerned about her embittered condition, invited Dr. Caesar Milan, a young minister and hymn writer from Switzerland, to join them for dinner in May of 1822 and to try to speak a word to her concerning the state of her soul. As the dinner went on, with all the family and minister at the table, Charlotte could barely stand another moment. Then, in a lull of the conversation, which by then had turned to spiritual matters, Dr. Milan turned to the austere Charlotte and asked her if she knew herself to be truly a Christian possessing the peace of God. With the question, she knew that the evening was nothing but a ploy devised by her constantly badgering parents to elicit some sort of spiritual response from her. In a loud and sharp tone that sent the room into silence, she told the good minister that she resented the question, considering it rude and unkind, and that the subject of religion was a matter that she did not want to discuss at all this evening. The furious outburst was more than her family could bear. Charlotte's heartbroken and embarrassed mother and father soon left the table, followed by her siblings, leaving the red-faced Charlotte alone with the minister to finish the meal. Dr. Milan, in a tone of Christ-like kindness, replied that he would not pursue the subject which so displeased her, but would pray that she might give her heart to Christ and employ her great talents with which he had gifted her to his holy and spiritual use. The evening may have passed, but the few words that Dr. Milan spoke to her did not. In the days following the dinner, Charlotte Elliott found herself in deep concern for her soul and guilt for her shameful outburst. Growing up in a Christian home, she knew the claims of Jesus to be the resurrected Son of God, but she also knew the doubts within her own heart as to why a loving God would allow her to endure such sickness and pain. Secretly, she blamed God for her illness. But at the same time, He, Jesus, was said to be the only way to rid herself of sin's guilt and have peace with God. In her tortured state of mind, she turned to the minister at which she had so angrily lashed out. She called for Dr. Milan. Upon his arrival, she apologized for her behavior at the dinner table a few weeks past and began to pour her heart out to the young pastor. All the resentment and bitterness that she felt within, all the restlessness of heart that his words had caused her since their last meeting. Charlotte said, quote, You speak of coming to Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to come to Jesus, but I don't know how. I'm not fit to come, end quote. Dr. Mon answered, quote, Why not come just as you are? Give yourself to God just as you are now. With your fightings and fears, hates and loves, pride and shame, you have only to come to Him just as you are, end quote. And there, amid all her crisis of belief, she did come to Jesus just as she was. This moment, marked a change in the life of Charlotte Elliott. Although she would be an invalid for the rest of her life and would continue to experience pain and fatigue, the peace and joy in believing on Jesus would be her daily refuge and constant strength for the rest of her days. 
1834, Charlotte's brother, Henry Venn Elliott, who by that time had become a minister himself, had a burden to create a school for the daughters of clergymen to receive a high education at a nominal cost. To aid the establishment of what was to be called St. Mary's Hall in Brighton, a bazaar was held and all the Elliott household would help. The day before the bazaar, the whole house was abuzz with activity, everyone preparing decorations and cooking meals, running about with no time to spare. That is, except for Charlotte. Unable to move from her chair that she'd been helped to, all she could do was watch as others did so much. Once again, Charlotte struggled with the feelings of complete and utter uselessness. By nightfall, she was kept awake by distressing thoughts of her seeming inability to be used of God to do anything. These thoughts led to further questions of her own faith. Was her faith in vain? Was the trust that she had placed on Jesus so long ago, combined with all the feelings of peace, love, and security, all for naught, simply to be dissolved over time? The next day, the busy day of the bazaar, she lay upon a sofa still contemplating the vexing questions from the night before. But the new day brought a new resolve. She felt as though these distressing thoughts must be met and conquered by God's grace. She began to reflect on the great certainties of her faith and not her emotions. In her mind, she went back to that day in 1822 when she conversed with Dr. Milan. The gentleness of the promise of Jesus to receive her if she would simply come to Him. The peace and pardon that she found in Jesus. Taking pen and paper from a nearby table, she put into verse, as she was prone to do, somewhat of a formula of her faith as a comfort to her own heart. Her memorable words were, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am, and waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am, Though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, Thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because Thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Later on that day, her sister-in-law, Mrs. H.V. Elliot, came in to check on her and to tell her how the bazaar was going. She saw the slip of paper with the poetic words and immediately realized the beauty of its simple but powerful message and asked if she might make a copy of it. Soon the poem was shared with her brother, then printed under the title Just As I Am and sold for the benefit of St. Mary's Hall in Brighton. Thousands were sold, and as a result, the school for girls was fully funded. 
the invalid, who despaired that she could be of no use or help to her brother's endeavor for the kingdom of God, became its greatest benefactor. Her poem was later set to music by William B. Bradbury, best known for composing the music to the hymn, Jesus Loves Me, and published in numerous hymn books throughout the 19th century. Even today, rare is the Christian hymn book that does not contain this beloved and familiar song. Now, one cannot overstate the powerful ways in which God has used the hymn, Just As I Am. Charlotte Elliott's brother, the Reverend H.V. Elliott, said this, quote, In the course of a long ministry, I hope I have been permitted to see some fruit for my labors, but I feel far more has been done by a single hymn of my sisters, end quote. On his often visits to her sick bed, he was heard to say, quote, You have done more by that one hymn of yours than I by all my years of preaching, end quote. Of the song, the great evangelist D.L. Moody shared the sentiment of no doubt thousands through history, quote, It has done the most good for the greatest number and has touched more lives helpfully than any other hymn, end quote. The ministry of the world-famous evangelist Billy Graham has been tied to Eliot's hymn. It has been said that Just As I Am was the invitation hymn at Mordecai Ham's revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina, when Billy Graham was converted to Christ. Through the decades of his evangelistic crusades, this hymn has been the mainstay of his gospel call. Graham said the song presented, quote, the strongest possible biblical basis for the call of Christ, end quote. He even entitled his 1997 autobiography, Just As I Am. Hymnody historian Kenneth Osbeck wrote that Just As I Am had, quote, touched more hearts and influenced more people for Christ than any other song ever written, end quote. Christian writer Lorella Rouster wrote, quote, The hymn is an amazing legacy for an invalid woman who suffered from depression and felt useless to God's service, end quote. Dr. John Julian wrote, quote, Though weak and feeble in body, she possessed a strong imagination and a well-cultured and intellectual mind. Her verse is characterized by tenderness of feeling, deep devotion, and perfect rhythm. She sang for those in sickness and sorrow as few others have ever done, end quote. The song even had a powerful effect on the author herself. Several years after the poem was published, Miss Elliot was once again in the office of yet another doctor. She was very sick and once again battling the depression into which her constant pain drove her. The doctor, realizing the low state of her spirit, reached over onto his desk and handed her one of the leaflets that had been donated to the doctor's office for just such an occasion. It is said that Charlotte burst into tears of grateful joy when she read the words on the page, for they were her own. Someone who greatly admired her words had them published and widely distributed them. Charlotte Elliott saw the evidence of how God had used her efforts despite her feeble frame. Not long after her conversion, she stumbled across a verse of Scripture in the Gospel of John that seemed to be the very essence 
of what Dr. Caesar Milan encouraged her to do that memorable night so long ago. Regardless of all the unanswered questions of her pain and weakness, of her sickness and trouble of mind, regardless of all the doubts, the whys, and the hows of her fragile state, regardless of all the anger, resentment, and bitter turmoil that raged within her, she could come to Jesus. This verse still rings true for us today. It calls us to come and believe, to lay all that seems to stand between us and God at the feet of Jesus. It is a verse that beckons us to come near to Him, to unburden our heavy hearts on His strong shoulders, to lay bare our sin before Him, trusting that He will forgive and cleanse it. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6 and verse 36, Charlotte Elliot found refuge in Jesus' words, All that the Father hath given me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Forgotten is written and produced by me, Ronnie Brown. You can find out more about this show at ForgottenPodcast.com. I'm also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ForgottenPodcast. Forgotten is now available on various podcasting apps such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Downcast. Be sure to stop in at iTunes and leave a review. And as always, thanks for listening.